All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 361. Jason Lingren is with me, and we have a married couple who has had a child free of the matrix, if you know what I mean, and they're going to use a pseudonym. It will be Mr. and Mrs. K. This is a growing trend. We meet a lot of people who are having children in a, I guess I'll say a non-typical way, kind of outside of the systemic way that most children come into the world. And to me, these are some of the most important episodes because those new lives rent represent the future hope of what happens when we're done with all this nonsense. There's going to be some of us that come through this and these young children who are completely free of manipulation uh, are probably going to end up being a big deal in our society. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Man, good morning. All right. Welcome, Mr. and Mrs. K. Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Happy to be here. So to catch everybody up, um, you have a couple children that came into the world in the typical way most Americans come into the world systemically, uh, getting all the things done that the system wants to do from things put in their eyes to shots to bizarre vitamin treatment, just all the things that go with it and a birth certificate, of course. But you came to your third child who is now among us and alive, uh, a female child who you brought into the world free of all that. So let's pick up with when you guys are pregnant and thinking about how the child's going to come into the world and not yet free of the system. What were you doing? Did you do all the typical things uh, early on in the pregnancy? So I pushed back a lot with my appointments. They wanted me to do a lot of blood work tests and they were pushing a lot of different things within my appointments, even just like the number of ultrasounds and things like that. I was saying no. And as I was saying no, it was quickly realized to me that they were looking at me as if I was doing something wrong to my child and wrong to myself because we did just say yes with the other two. We just, they were like, you need to do this thing. And we just did it with the other two. Did you go into this pregnancy with the idea that you were going to change the way you'd previously done it? Or did you get pregnant first and then decide? It all kind of happened like at the same time. I feel like it, like we were, had already known that if we were going to have a third one, that yes, we weren't going to do all of the things anymore. It was uh, kind of right when all the, the nonsense started as well. So we were, in my mind, we were just going to do the typical hospital like we had done before, but change a few things. And I did not expect this stuff would still be going on, uh, what, nine months later. So I wasn't even worried about encountering some of the pushback as far as being required to take a COVID test and things like that just to enter the hospital. And we were a little late to the game as far as doing the midwife or getting connected with that. And I'm con supposedly considered high risk. Oh, yeah, allegedly high risk. <laughs> Why is that? Because I'm 34. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there, there's, I'll say it. Um, Jason and I have covered that the Women's Live movement of the 70s uh, helped to move a typical birth age of 20, I think it was 22 to 24 is typically when families started in this country back then to 32 to 34. So it's a bit ridiculous that that became a common age to have children. And all of a sudden it's considered high risk. Right. Yeah. Imagine how many, uh, 20 somethings would grow up a lot faster if they were, uh, responsible for another life. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's something we don't do in America is growing up on the American agenda anymore. Not very well. It's going to be after all this, but so you've made the decision, you're pregnant, you're coming online at the same time that you're going to do this pregnancy a little bit differently. So doesn't that create a situation where they want to do all these things like you were kind of alluding to, to you, the mother that you are now going to opt out of? Yes. Yeah. I, I just realized when you said that they, um, they were wanting to poke them in utero. Yes. What does that mean? I was told to get... They weren't, what is it, genetic testing? Or? Yeah, it's the genetic testing. So you can find out the gender of your baby instead of waiting until you're 26 some odd or 20 some odd weeks. Like You can find out at 11 weeks now if you, if you want to have the a correct 
12 inch needle go through your belly into the baby. And then it does genetic testing to see if you have markers for any disabilities or anything. Are you kidding me? They stick that needle into the new life inside you. It's not just the fluid or something. They actually poke the the baby in there. I have always denied it because for one, I don't exactly understand the test. And it just seems crazy to me that regardless, it doesn't matter to me how my baby comes out as long as my baby comes. And if there's an issue that comes about, then we will still love baby and get through it. I don't know that I need nine months to prep myself for something like that, I guess. Yeah, they kind of use that as a, hey, we can identify... Um, autism, Down syndrome, all these issues. So you can abort the baby. If uh, you don't like what you see on this piece of paper here, that- are, are you kidding me? That's part of the system now. So they're, they're opening up a way for that life to be ended. I mean, in my point of view, it, I, that surely resides on the people making the decision. But if you're a new parent and you're not pro-life or never considered any of this, and you get back a piece of paper that says all this negative information about your potential child here. Those doors are open in a lot of states and it's pretty crazy right there. They're trying to push the test by saying it's the quickest way to find out the gender of your baby. So I understand we're like excited parents are like, oh, I can find out if I'm having a boy or a girl like now instead of waiting. But what they don't tell you is that they won't even give you that little piece of information that maybe you want without doing all of it. Yeah. What does all of it mean? So if you just, if you did that process and agreed to it and they did the tests, they have this report that tells the gender and then it lists all these alleged diseases and uh, potential issues. You can't just tell them, hey, just tell me the gender. I don't want to know if my kid has, is potentially going to have downs or whatever the, the negative potential disease and issues are on the list. They have to tell you all of it. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that there has to be a very close connection to the mental state of the mother and the developing child inside the mother. So what does it do to fill the mother's head with these horribly negative ideas? What does that do to the process that would otherwise be unaffected in that way? Right. And it's a piece of paper and it was- that comes out of a computer. <laughs> It was something they really tried to push for me because I don't know my biological parents. So that was how they tried to push it for me. Ah, you and I have that in common. I am also adopted and the state of California blocked me from discovering who my biological parents are. And they just kept telling me that, well, you will know any sort of health issue beforehand. I was like, well, this is baby number three. I think we'll survive. Yeah. (laughs) We'll, we'll be fine. But we like from what we know about these uh, PCR tests or any of these, all this new information we're learning, how much can you even trust something like that? And if part of it isn't trustworthy, how many people are maybe ending ending life there? Or like you said, they read some piece of paper that says this is going to happen. And now they're putting all their stress on themselves and the the new life growing and it may actually develop into something. Yeah, it's there, there's a grand game of chess going over the top. Um, I have a lot of family, well, not a lot, but I have family in California and San Diego who are saying, we got to get to a red state. This blue state thing's just killing us and we need to get over to Texas. In my view, what Texas has been doing is teeing up fail. They did a whole big abortion bill that for most people would seem like, hey, these people care about life. But what happens every time something like that's done is it goes to the higher court and the higher court can say, oh, sorry, um, you're wrong. And this is now the law. And they're doing it with the the testing, the masking and the mandates. Uh, Texas is doing the same thing they just did with abortion. And so, you know, that's going to go to the high court. And uh, if it gets reversed, then what Texas did actually creates a huge problem for everybody because then the highest court in the land has normalized this thing that people don't want normalized. And this is, I'm bringing this up because I had no idea that the idea of ending the baby's life was even on the table because they had supposedly Down syndrome or something. Mm -hmm. So where are you in the pregnancy when this is going on and this test is being, I mean, are you just barely pregnant or are you in a ways? 
less than eight weeks because you get your results at 11 weeks. You get your results before you're out of your first trimester. And have you already made up your mind that you're going to do this birth differently or are you making up your mind you already have? Yes. And so what have you planned? What have you planned to do differently from the first two births in your family? Well, to begin with, we had a child 12 years ago, our son, and then eight years. That was supposed to be one and done. And then mm-hmm. we, we talked into a getting a dog instead of another child. <laughs> then we ended up with number two. She's eight. And then he tried to get me with another puppy instead of a kid, but that didn't work either. So now we have number three, but there's quite a span between obviously eight and four months. But we have, uh, in 20, 2020 was probably the best year of our life. We have uh, moved to like kind of a small homestead here. We've got chickens. Um, we've got, uh, we're on our second year of growing a garden. Um, we've added another life to our family and um, like homeschooling. That's been a game changer for us. So it's, it's not just like, Hey, we had another kid. It's all these things. And um, it's a mindset. You can either be miserable or you can crush and try to make the best of it. And like growing up and becoming responsible for yourself, even as far as things like food and other things go. Um, but I'll, I'll circle back around when, so at this point you've decided to do the coming child's birth differently. And what have you decided to do? Uh, are you going all the way? Are you doing it without a birth certificate? Are you doing it free of hospital intervention? What is the decision you have made? So because I was still pushed into this considered high risk, I did have that fear still. It was so instilled in my brain from the other pregnancies that there was potential danger, I guess, that I knew that unless I could find a really great midwife, doula, somebody to help me at home, that like I felt I still needed to be at a hospital, but I didn't want to do anything traditionally in the hospital. The birth certificate, we did still go with. We, it was mostly like the way medically things were going to go. We knew we were going to change when I, when I had to take one of my older kids to the doctor and they're like, you need this list of shots this week. And I was like, whoa, where does the number stop? They don't. Right. They don't. And it's like, at what number do we think is actually like, oh, this is too much to give to our child. And I had just finally had enough and decided we're just not doing it this time. Well, we almost had to relearn, like, what are all the things they do to them Yes, at the hospital so that we can make a list of these things and decide. Hey, had that changed since your first birth was a number of years behind? Do you feel like it changed? Yes. And I'm very lucky that we have a new close friend of ours that is an OB's assistant or was until this world went crazy. And she was able to sit down with me and be like, don't forget they do this now. Don't forget. Like she was able to sit down with me and give me like a bullet point list of every single thing and help me write my birth plan so that even if there was something unexpected that had changed, even since she had stopped working, I had the right wordage in my birth plan to make sure nothing was happening to me or the baby. And then I was uh, daily listening to Crow 777 Radio catching up. I finally joined as a member and there's a lot of information that people are missing out in on the second hour that can really be beneficial for all areas of life. But particularly here, as far as them taking pieces of the baby or placenta or afterbirth, things like that. And some of the other people you've had on like Amanda Vollmer talking about the eye, the eye goo they put in them and the vitamin K and all these different things. A number of them came from just listening to you guys. And that played a pretty good factor as well. So Jason, let's zero in on that birth plan. Um, We should, you know, I know a lot of people who are planning a family may be very interested in that document, uh, which, spoiler alert, it was effective in the same way that treatment plans were learning. By the time this goes out, Jessica Brink will be on, and you'll learn that going to a hospital with a treatment plan changes everything in a similar way. So you want to zero in there, Jason? Yes, let's do that. But first, let me ask, did you ever consider a midwife? 
I tried and (laughs) in our area, there aren't actual midwives. It's women that have lost their job due to COVID. And now they're just claiming to be a midwife. They didn't actually have even the women that I talked to. I was still being like pressured to do when I was telling them what I wanted to do. They were not in agreement with what I was wanting to do. The midwives or the so-called yes. midwives. Yeah. Yes. And then I was considered high risk. So the one that I actually did find once I shared all the information about what's going on so far within my pregnancy, which I was very sick from day one until like the week that I delivered. So it wasn't in the cards, I guess, is I guess how I can say that because I wanted to so bad. I would have rather be home. Next time. Yeah, next time. (laughs) I would have rather be home, but there was no... With me getting the pushback from our OB and the doctors, there was... I decided this is what we should do. We should try to be at home. And then I was already halfway through my second trimester and nobody would take me on, I guess, was where that went because I was so late into the game with that. So I did have a thought about uh, morning sickness because she's had it really, really bad with all three of ours. Could it be that's the body basically just uber detoxing to be a clean slate for growing life? I think if you're vomiting or having diarrhea or anything that expels, I think that's almost a provable thought, isn't it? It's what the body does to detox. And I'd never really considered, uh, I've never associated the idea of morning sickness with that. But when you said it, I think we should ask some people, Jason, we should remember about that and ask about morning sickness. But let's zero in on that doc. Um, You want to take the first crack, Jason? People are going to want to know. Yeah, they are. All right. So where'd you get your information from? Although I think I know where yeah. one source was. <laughs> and then uh, what made you make your decision to start there? Well, uh, my wife, we went hiking on a camping trip and came back and the baby wasn't moving. And a certain number of hours went by and she, she called her OB and they said, well, if, if it's been this long, you need to go to the ER. And she went to the ER. They tried to force me to put a mask on my face and I said no. And so they put me in isolation, which just kind of gave me like anxiety, which to me would stress baby out more. But And then they blasted the baby with ultra sound to be able to see the baby and everything. And that caused her to start moving around, which it typically does. They don't seem to like the ultrasound very much. But upon leaving there, She's leaving the hospital and the nurse walking her out says, hey, I noticed you weren't too keen on wearing the mask. Just so you know, when you come back to deliver, you and your husband will be required to take a COVID test and have uh, the Q-tip to the brain action. And told me that I would have to have a mask on at all times, except for when physically pushing during delivery. My God. (laughs) Oh, welcome to the twilight zone. By the way, the Q-tip to the brain is poppycock to begin with. They can do a swab in the mouth. All you have to do is ask. I don't know what's up with wanting to cause pain on purpose. Well, they were telling us, and I said that back to them. I was like, so we can't do like a swab in the mouth, even if it is 100% necessary. And she told me no, because of how quickly delivery can progress, that that's not an option on their floor in labor and delivery. I just laughed and walked out. But you you don't got to take the swab in the first place or any unwanted medical procedure, but go ahead. We didn't want to walk into an argument and just have this looming over us. Like, how's it going to go the day we walk in there? You know, like, I know we can stand our ground and, and all that, but it'd be nice to just have this stuff on paper and have it in a fashion that holds up. And um, we reached out to Rose, actually. She connected me with a few different guests you've had on. And one in particular, Jess on the Brink, was very instrumental on this. And I think her working with Alphonse, they found a a nice affidavit template that we were able to... Pretty much just plug and play our information into. Yeah. 
So can we make a version of that document available to everyone who's listening to this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we we have the word document that just like is pretty much blank. It has like fake names and, yeah, and you, li- you want to list the, um, the hospital and the OB by name in the document. And then she suggested doing one for my wife, one for me, and then one for the both of us. And we did all three, had all three notarized. And uh, I've actually shared it with a few others that were interested. And, and I think there's definitely been some proven success in other areas as well. We've seen those affidavits do some amazing things. So let me get this straight. You've got an affidavit. By the way, is it just an affidavit? Is it a statement of fact? Is it all of the above? So you fill it out. You get it notarized. Do you submit that in a timely fashion to the hospital? I went into the hospital and I submitted it to my OB's office directly and into the hospital and submitted it 20 days before my delivery. And that that time frame was attached to with how you created the affidavit? Well, they have, if they don't refute it within 15 days, then they pretty much have to do what it says. All right. So let's make that clear to everybody. For those who have missed the earlier shows, an unrebutted affidavit becomes gospel truth in any legal setting. I mean, gospel. It is fact at that point. The idea that Mrs. K just pointed out was they took an affidavit, they filled it out, which we'll get into. They had it notarized and the affidavit is opened up for rebuttal within 15 days. If nobody rebuts in 15 days, that becomes basically a factual, true statement of fact. You could almost say this, if you submit it to the hospital, no one rebuts it, then they've agreed that everything on there is about what's about to happen. Would you describe that any differently? No. Didn't you call? I called the hospital though to see, like, I was like, so I have this affidavit and I have my birth plan. I'd like to turn it in. And they were like, oh, just bring it day of delivery. Uh Because if I just bring it day of delivery, they could refute it that day. Or they could also act like it's not enforced yet because the the 15 days has not elapsed. They could also ignore it and still act like it's not enforced. So I went in and I went to go turn it in and she was like, oh, we don't accept these. And I was like, well, you can take it or I can find somewhere else to deliver my baby. And the lady took it and I actually made her sign. I made her sign the copy of it and give me back the original. And they took it because I needed to know that they had proof that it was there within that time. Didn't her whole tune change? Like while you're there, she went from a lot of scare tactics and telling me that like, I, well, this is just how we do this. You have to do this. When you come in, you will have to get this COVID test. It does not matter what happens to, oh, well, I'm sure we can accommodate. We can do these things that are on here. Like she became very respectful and kind of did like a whole 360 with her attitude once she realized she has skin in the game. <laughs> yeah. And kind of that I have a brain and that I wasn't just coming in here throwing nonsense at her. I actually had this affidavit and we knew what we were talking about. You got moved from patient to customer yes. stat- status. <laughs> So let's cover what actually went on in the affidavit. Um, and, and so there's, it's basically, we could call that a birth plan. Could we call that affidavit a birth plan? Yes. Yeah. Well, the beginning of it is basically stating, I am a woman, claim my body, information, genetic material, and offspring are all my property. And then it goes through some few legal things regarding the hospital and the doctor. And then it just kind of bullet points My exact birth plan. Exact birth plan. And then it lists some uh, 28 USC and just has the uh, notary on the back. Some signature areas. And so do I detect both Alphonse and Jessica Brink and all that? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And then (laughs) our concern was like, okay, we have this document, but it's anybody going to read it? It's a little uh, legalese for like nurses and staff there that are going to be in and out of the room. She said, why don't we do a dummy down version and which is a great idea 50 of these so we just took all the uh, affidavit portions out and made a 
kind of a dumbed down birth plan. And it's just bullet pointed of anything that I did or did not want to happen during the process. Mostly did not want to happen. Do you have that document in front of you right now? Yes. Okay. We're going to make these documents as, as much as we're handed. We will make, I'll, I'll put a link. Hopefully I'll put a link right out of my, uh, my comments area under this episode, but just grab the bullet points. Can we give folk like I could, I could detect Jessica Brink the moment you started claiming your genetic material and doing all these things that should go without saying, but now as you're pointing out have to be defended, but let's go down that bullet point list. Um, actually let's go down the whole thing to let people know what's there, how you went at this and, and let's do the spoiler alert. This was effective. Would you count this whole process as effective after the fact? Yes. yes. And it was actually more enjoyable than delivery in the hospital with my other two, just because with us saying no to all of these things, they're like pushback to me was, well, you realize you're only going to get one nurse now. And I was like, um, awesome. I have one person now in the room instead of 10. You're only going to get one nurse now is the big threat. Yeah. It's bizarre. I would say the, the most effective part of going through the affidavit process and listing these things out is now you're on the same page as a couple. And then also this paper is at the end of the day is just paper. Despite this list we have here, we, we had to verbally stand our ground on every single one of these points. Um, it's not like you just write this paper and the nurses and doctors study it and just forget all the normal things they, they want to do. Uh, they still ask on every one of these points and every single thing that you deny uh, generates more paperwork and you basically have to sign. I'm not sure what they were calling them, but <laughs> you have to uh, yeah, agree to deny these yeah. things. And there's some stories behind a few of these bullet points, but we can go through them if you'd like. Okay. And by the way, did you end up asking any of these people if they were aware of the affidavit or the birth plan, uh, even though they were still trying to do it the way they wanted to do it? I got to the point, because now I'm like heavy in labor. And I got to the point that I just started every single time somebody entered the room. I didn't even say hello anymore. I just handed them the dummy down version of my birth plan. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, read the paper and then just laid back down. I stopped responding. Did they still try and do stupidity? Yes, but only on a few things. And then during actual delivery, like I think just out of habit of these are, there are things that doctors do just with 99.9% of the deliveries that they just out of habit, it's just what they do. So I was lucky enough with being threatened for this one nurse. I was lucky enough with only getting one nurse that she was amazing. Yeah. She was, she was um, standing up for us on these points, she like actually, directing the rest of them. Like, Hey, they don't want to do this. And- she actually smacked the doctor's hand at one point, like right after I delivered baby, she was very on top of making sure my birth plan was followed and not making us feel stressed about the things within the birth plan. Almost sounds to me like the reason you go down to one nurse is because if they had a whole gaggle, there could be legal proceedings. You know, who's going to control five or six nurses doing Lord knows what? You know, if they zero it down to one, then clearly that nurse can know the birth plan. But anything you want to add there, or can we jump in and start? Because I want to get in hour one, I want to get through the meat and potatoes and the vegetables that are in that document so people can hear and know. So, our dummy down version literally just says birth plan and then my name at the top. And then it's just bullet pointed, no hep B, no vitamin K. Briefly, let's just quickly outline so people know you started with no, what was it? Hep B? Yes. So what is that? An inoculation? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. No vitamin K. How is that administered to a newborn? It is a thousand milligrams shot into them. That was, uh, this was the one that we didn't really know too much, much about. about. And, a, and a lot of people that are on relatively the same page, there's kind of a 50-50 on it because there's so much fear around this one. And I think it's a really, really big one. The number one side effect of it is jaundice. 
you're injecting a thousand milligrams into a brand new liver that can't process. That's more than an adult dose. My God. So we put some some questions out into uh, an app that we a few different places, a few different places, and got some really great responses. But we really had to stand our ground on that. They actually sent a pediatrician in three separate times. We had to say no three times. Uh, The first time she said, well, I've been to Africa and I've seen so many kids die. And like, well, we're not in Africa (laughs) and uh, I think we'll be okay. And and the second time I was out of the room and she tried to get Mrs. K alone. I'll come back up to this, but at the very bottom, I said that in this document, no procedures, medications, exams, anything can be discussed or decided upon without both parents present. And that was really just for me because I'm in active labor and or just had a baby at this time. Like I'm tired. I'm well, they're counting on that emotional, like all of these things. So I didn't want to, I didn't even want there to be like an option for me to make any like major decisions without my husband and I both being on the same page. And every moment they saw him walk out of the room, they would like zoom somebody into the room to be like, well, do you know that this vitamin K is in... They must get a big bonus on that one or something. It's kind of creeping me out. Because it assumes that the creator doesn't know how to create for one thing. How many years has vitamin K even been in the offing? What are we talking? 20, 30 years? I don't know. I'm guessing. But what I know above all other things is K is the 11th letter of the alphabet. So I'm already <laughs> suspicious. Right. Right. Well, and, you, and the, the baby will start producing it after eight days. And allegedly, that's why the Jews wait eight days to circumcise. Because now the, the baby can clot. It's all about blood clotting. And so they tried that, to scare us. That was saying, the big scare tactic. Like you're going to take your baby home and you're going to scratch it and your baby's going to bleed out. She was like telling me I needed to make sure that my nails aren't sharp and don't put paper near the baby because if the baby gets a paper cut, she'll bleed out. Is that even true? Are you no. telling me that if a newborn baby gets scratched, they're going to bleed to death? I mean, allegedly, if they don't have vitamin K, so that was her main argument. Right. And to leave the hospital, you there's the final 24 hour test. And part of it is a blood draw. It's called the newborn infant screening. It's They're different state to state. It's like the, uh, the first thing we talked about where they want to do genetic testing to determine the sex while the baby's still in the womb. This is like the uh, kind of a similar thing where they want to test for all these diseases after the baby's born. And Denying this one generates paperwork. Uh, it triggers something the with the state. But the, the same lady that was pushing vitamin K was brought in to argue for this one. And I was talking to her. She's doing her whole spiel again. And we're like, look, we already signed the form. We don't want to do it. Um, it's like you have to deny three times like some of your legal episodes uh, speak of that. Oh, wow. You, you found that. That actually happened. Oh yeah. And I was thinking about all this the entire time, but it was great. She's, uh, she's like, you know, you really, you really should do this. Just, it's just a, dr- a little prick, a drop of blood. And I'm like, you just told us that our baby's going to bleed out if she doesn't get the vitamin K. And now you want to stab her? And, <laughs> <took> her blood? <laughs> and she accidentally agreed at one point in time. And then you could see her wheels turning that she had to backpedal real quick to get back to where she thought she was. And I, you could see her logic. Again, I finally just handed her the birth plan and was like, we've already made these decisions. You could see her logic wheels just like exploding in her head. (laughs) All right. So we've done hep B and we've done vitamin K what's next. No eye ointment. Okay, now Amanda Vollmer made me aware of what that is. What is the eye ointment and how is it applied to the newborn? She made me aware as well from your show. It's just a goo they put in their eyeballs to, I think, kill the kill anything in there that could be bad from from mom's natural. You you know the walls right. that yeah, mom's natural nurturing. So so what I gathered is it's almost like an antibiotic. 
and they squeeze goo into the eye. Does that sound about right? Yes. Yeah. And we're doing a case study here because our first two both had it and they both have reading glasses. So we'll see how <laughs> number three fares in that department. Hmm. Okay. So what's next up on the, on the birth plan hit list? No COVID testing for parents or baby. And how did that go? <laughs> did they still try to test you and mask you and swab you till your brain hurt? Or how did that go? Their main threat was if, if she ends up needing to go to surgery, then you're going to have to have to have a test. And But I've had two other babies at this point with no major complications whatsoever. So I was like, okay, well, we don't want it. And she's like, well, what if you have to go into an emergency C-section? It's like, I've had no issues delivering. Well, how is it any different from the first emergency that you bypassed? You know, they're just moving the goal. They told you you couldn't do this. You couldn't come into the hospital. Um, they just keep moving the goalposts. You know, I would point it out. So why, why should that new goalpost be taken any more seriously than the previous? Yeah. Right. So then they knew that I wasn't going to do it. So then they tried to tell me that I was going to have to be by myself in a room and that my husband was going to have to get the COVID testing. So I knew he was, there was no way he was going to do that. So I actually had my best friend on the back burner just so because she would. And I would was like, well, if I have to be here by myself, I guess I have to be here by myself. But they weren't going to force. They'd already come to terms with they weren't going to force me. But then they, I mean, they didn't say anything much more about that. They've got a problem though, because you've submitted an affidavit that's gone unrebutted. And I'm assuming what you just described to me was in the affidavit that has gone unrebutted. So legally they're in jeopardy. Yes. I, I think one of the nurses or well, like our main nurse early on was saying, well, if you don't do the test, we're all going to have to come in here in hazmat gear. Yeah, she said, well, it never happened. If you're not going to do the test and you're not going to wear the masks, we have to come in in full gear. And I was like, well, I mean, we're like, do whatever you want. That but. really stinks that you guys have to put extra gloves on and another thing over your face. I'm sorry that you can't breathe. Yeah, they didn't do it. They never did it once, but that was what they were telling us they were going to have to do. Well, that's your problem. That's what I'd tell them. <laughs> yeah, that was how I felt. <laughs> Maybe they should examine their policy a little more closely and make an affidavit. Right. So after that, we had no rinsing of baby. Oh, I guess we missed no vaccines, but I guess that's probably a, a given. After no eye, no eye ointment, no vaccines, and then no COVID testing for parents or baby, and then no rinsing of baby right away. Just like you don't want to uh, wash your farm fresh eggs. Right. Um, so what is that? Is that literally just like a soapy cloth over the baby or what? what is the rinse actually? What is it? I really I, like... You know what it is. It's Johnson & Johnson baby soap. Yeah. They're actually giving the baby like a bath as soon as baby comes out and they start with a dry cloth and then it's a soaked down cloth and then they dry baby again. But I didn't want any of that done because all of that mucus and everything that comes out of me and that is on baby is really good for baby. Provably. And made by the creator to boot and natural. And that was the main thing that when I say the nurse actually smacked my doctor's hand, that was when she smacked him was he went to immediately go wipe down baby and she smacked a rag out of his hand. Because at this point, I've literally just pushed baby out. I'm like squeezing my husband's hand and I'm like almost in tears. So, uh, and I'm like, I'm watching all these people like a hawk, just trying to make sure they're not taking pieces Anything. and doing everything right. And it was, it was difficult. I did see them take things and I, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. All right. So, so no washing baby, no washing nature off the baby. The next thing was I wanted delayed cord clamping. No pacifier. Well, I'll get there. I wanted yeah. delayed cord clamping until the cord stops pulsating. Okay, this is critical. We've had people talk about it. So please explain to people. Um, typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, almost immediately the cord gets cut when a, a baby is normally brought into a hospital in the way they do it. But what you're explaining is there's a pulsating going between, you, you describe it. You describe what's being interrupted. Well, it varies by doctor. The thing as is, well. is that 
the hospital claims that they are delaying it, but they are not delaying it to the point of no pulsating. When they say delay, their delay is like two minutes where your cord can pulsate for 20 minutes to an hour, sometimes more even after delivery. How long did yours go? Fif- like 15, 10, 15 minutes. minutes. Yeah, like 15 minutes. When we brought this one up with the nurse, she said, well, this particular doctor usually does. delays cord anyways. So that was, wasn't that big a deal. We just had them hold off a little bit longer than normal. Well, there's, there's a couple things attached to that too, though, because what they're about to cut away from the baby, if you, so presumably there are good things that the mother provided still being given to the baby because the cord is still pulsating, but now they're about to separate. Let me see if I get this right. The cord, the placenta, possibly a call. A few things are about to be separated from the baby when that cord gets cut, right? Yes. And so is that in the birth plan as well? Yes. Placenta to be kept by parents. And that was kind of a big deal. Well, that's a big deal because they don't tell you this is where like I had to go into the hospital prior to delivery and try to get as much information as possible. You have to bring your own cooler to transport placenta. Like they put it in a little hazard bag and then in a box, like a little box for you. But you have to have a physical cooler that it will fit into to take it home. And then they also don't tell you that unless you plan on leaving the hospital with that placenta and that cooler that day, when you go to like sleep overnight, or if your spouse plans on leaving the room, mother doesn't count. So like I couldn't be in the room with the placenta by myself, but if like my husband was to leave, the placenta had to either be locked in the hospital cooler, which I didn't want them to have it. So that wasn't going to happen or it needed to leave the premises of the hospital. Yeah, she came in and gave us like a 10-minute terms and conditions of what to do, what not to do. And she she was so pretty on board with us at this point. She was, She's like, I just have to say all this stuff. And as long as you have a cooler and you take it out and there. And it's really hard to figure out like exactly what size cooler and everything you need because they they want you to come unprepared for that. But they were treating this like a hazmat issue. And very specific, like wanting to know what you're going to do with it, even though it's none of their business. That's what I would have told them. Yeah. So that was definitely interesting. We had to sign something else regarding that. We had to sign a specific thing for that. Yeah. Did you sign all these things under duress or did you just do it to get (laughs) it away? I mean, well, one of the first things we signed was kind of funny. It was uh, basically acknowledging that the doctor is practicing medicine. I thought that was interesting. And then they wanted us to uh, basically let them know if we would be filming or recording. That was in there. That was a whole nother piece of paper. But yeah, the placenta thing was very interesting. And then the cord, they wanted to take six inches of cord. Right. Even saying we wanted to keep the placenta, we should have specifically put in here. So one thing we didn't, but we still were able to get away with doing, um, they try to take six inches of the baby's cord to store for stem cells or whatever they claim mm-hmm. it's for. So denying that triggered the, the state, state again. Again, And when I was asking the nurse, like just talking to her, I'm like, so why do you guys want the cord? And she didn't know. And she said, it's not us, it's the state. And And that was even more so we were going to push back on it once she said that. It's like, why does the state want to put my daughter's cord in in a fridge? Makes you wonder if it's tribute to a vampire clan somewhere or something. (laughs) Yeah. So anyhow, you guys knew to bring the cooler you did. So what do you actually leave with? Was there a call? Um, Did you take the cord? Did you take the placenta? What was it that you took away home with you? Which actually, biblically, I think these things are referred to as your inheritance. Yes, we took everything. Was there a call, the covering over the baby's face? Yeah, it was all it kind was of all together. together. Um, and that was one thing I was when I was watching them. So there was what four people, five people in there at some point. Four delivery. And things are happening, and they're they're moving around and doing. And they this. kept trying to like scoop stuff just into different like I guess trash cans for lack of a better word. Yeah, and they one of them took a piece of something and threw it in this trash can. And I'm like, no, 
I went and grabbed it and put it in with the rest of it. And then they were, our nurse actually was on board and she was asking about it and then they were looking for it. I'm like, Oh no, I did that. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <it's>, uh, <laughs> Give me back that piece of my family. Yeah, vultures. Exactly. Yeah. My and word. Like, so, like the little hat they put on her, you know, they give him like the little knitted hat and they gave her one right when she was born. And then they tried to keep it. No, they threw it, they threw it in their trash. I'm sure they keep all that. But I went and I went and got that, fished that out. And there's like a blanket that she was wrapped in that was kind of dirty. I fished that out. Just basically because you don't want to give up any so-called DNA or whatever the idea would be. Is that? Yeah. Just you're leaving with everything that's yours, basically. And they're also good if you have animals like dogs to let them Like we brought the dirty blanket home to our dogs. So they can kind of get used to the smell and acquainted and not attack or freak out or so for people who may not be aware before we keep going down the list just what i mean you guys are clearly well researched um and i know if you talk to jessica you had a plan for the things you brought with you if you don't mind and if you do then just let's move on what is the plan for your inheritance the biblical idea of your inheritance or the child's inheritance which would be the call uh, which actually used to be a big deal in certain cultures, that call was a big, big deal, and people would steal and kill to get a call, believe it or not. Uh, the cord and the placenta, what will you do with it? I planted it under a willow tree. Oh, wow. We bought a brand new willow tree, and it is underneath of it in our yard. Growing strong. Yep. All right. People listening, you can research uh, and you do have to research. It's not like Google's given up the goods anymore. You have to look a little deeper than a first page Google search to understand the value um, before the modern era of the inheritance of the child, which is the cord, the call, the placenta. And in some cases, there might be something else I just don't recall. But we do have to wrap up hour one of 361 with Mr. and Mrs. K covering their let's just call it a natural birth or as close to natural as they can get in the modern era. When we come back in hour two, we're going to continue through the document, the affidavit, the dumbed down document, and everything that I can provide that I'm given, I will make linkable to others and others. You should share this. If you know a new family, let them know that there's other ways that you can go at this. They should at least have the ability to know that the one way is not the only way. And by the way, if you've been listening to the story, you notice the change between a human being trying to tell another human being, I don't want these things to happen. And then when a legal document gets introduced into the whole thing. But anyhow, Jason, anything you want to add before I wrap? I just want to say well done. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the story. I hope more folks are inspired to buck this insane system that we are putting up with right now. Thank you. All right, there it is. And yeah, you, you know, we all owe you at minimally a debt of gratitude to create new lives that will go into this new era untainted in the way that clearly so many of us have been tainted. And by the way, I understand that in the last 15 to 20 years, what is done to a newborn has significantly changed in certain ways. But we hope you join us over at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com for hour two of episode 361 with Mr. and Mrs. K, who are describing what they did to defend their baby's natural existence into this world. Um, There it is. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
the enemy of knowing. 